now presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is up, podcasts? This is your favorite podcast host, John Gabriel, on your favorite podcast, The King of Stuff. Get to our guest in a minute. A few uh, reminders slash announcements. One, please remember to rate, rank, review, subscribe, all that good stuff to this podcast. Also, you can now follow me on YouTube. Uh, the link is in the show notes. My channel is just not too inventively called John Gabriel, but uh, I'm putting all the interviews up on YouTube now, and I'm trying also to get them on Rumble. So look for me there as well. Hopefully I'll be able to do that. I'm recording on Tuesday and I will try to get all those uploads done as of tonight. And also, uh, please become a member of Ricochet. A reminder, we're having a Ricochet meetup in my backyard here. Uh, there's a great brewery not too far away from me. And uh, so if you're in the Phoenix area, check it out. It is on the 11th, which is Saturday, 2 p.m., and uh, just check Ricochet for information. Need to be a Ricochet member, but it's really cheap. So if you happen to be listening to me in the beautiful state, the great state of Arizona, uh, I'd love to see you there. Now, on to our interview. It is great to welcome first-time guests. Um, just before I hit record, we are talking about, I think we follow each other forever on Twitter, but we've never actually talked. Uh, but Daniel Garza, he's president of the Libre Initiative. Now, the Libre Initiative, we'll get more into that, rooted in the Hispanic community. They bring people together to advance freedom and opportunity and all sorts of issues. Uh, he was born in California Central Valley, has deep roots, deep ties to Nuevo Leon in Mexico. Uh, he's worked in city government, Capitol Hill and the White House, um, was a host on Univision. Hopefully I pronounced that correct. Right. Uh, my gringo Spanish, my two years of college <laughs> Spanish. Hopefully those will uh, that'll help enough. Um, recognized in Congressional Quarterly and National Journal is one of the most influential voices in Washington. Daniel, thanks so much for being on. Well, what an absolute sincere pleasure it is to be on with you, John. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you bet. You bet. Um, yeah, and I've been following your work for a long time. Part of it, I, I live in Arizona, pretty much grew up here since I was like six. And Arizona is, you know, we're a border state, of course, but also we wouldn't be Arizona without our vast Hispanic community. One of my roommates in college, we still chat on Facebook. Um, you know, he was one of those classic, I, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. His his family left in kind of the equivalent of southwestern Phoenix, I guess. And they've lived there for, I don't know, 250 years, something like that. <laughs> and uh, he was way more conservative than I could ever be. So it's great to see some of the voting patterns show that off. And also so many groups, the Libre Initiative is doing fantastic work. Why don't you tell our listeners about Libre first? Yeah, you know, it's a fascinating part about uh, Latinos who, you know, were crossed by the border. I understand after the U.S.-Mexico war that 100,000 Latinos were left in the United States and they had a the decision to make whether to stay in the U.S., uh, or return to Mexico or mm -hmm. cross the borders, Mexico and over a hundred thousand actually stuck around. So you, mm -hmm. there are families that have been here for generations uh, throughout the, the, the West and the Southwest, um, just remarkable history that we have here. Um, but in that history too, John, um, for the longest time in modern history, um, you know, my observation had been that Latinos were 
when it came to the political process and, and governing that Latinos were on the outside looking in for the most part. And this caused a lot of resentment. Um, you know, one of the things that, of course, um, resulted from that was protests, marches, school walkouts, um, things that were uncouth, you know, in American society. Yeah. But it had to be done because, you know, you you demanded a place at the table, right? Um, uh, that your voice was represented and that your community who suffered disproportionately from social ills or whatever it was, right, uh, that, you know, they needed to be heard and also offer up solutions. You know, what, what, what can we do, right, you know, to improve the quality of life for Latinos? The Libre Initiative really started because... <clears throat> A lot of those voices didn't represent the diversity, the, the vast diversity within the Latino community. We, you know, we were not wired uh, center left, socialist or top down, you know, uh, government approach to things. Um, some of us, maybe, I suppose, you know, were influenced by Marxist professors, by unions, by left of center Latino organizations, um, you know, whatever the case may be. But I just did not feel myself represented in any of the national Latino organizations, uh, um, especially at a time, you know, when I, you mentioned that I worked at the White House, um, it was my job to represent the Latino community to the president of the United States, uh, George W. Bush. I had a heck of a time trying to come up with Latino organizations who were aligned. Um, <laughs> they just did not exist. And so the Libre Initiative was formed. Yeah, that's just fantastic. Uh, you're doing great work, too. And just not sitting around in cubicles <laughs> right. in D.C., you know, actually, I don't know, talking to people and saying, hey, what can we help out with? How can we pitch in? And it's like, gosh, that's refreshing to see, um, because in uh, frankly, I, I could fit in this as well. It's just like, oh, all right. Look at this brilliant idea I've come up with. Then I'll go back to my couch and eat tortilla chips and salsa <laughs> and trip it all over myself and not actually get out there and help people in my community. So it's great to see that. Yeah, well, and, absolutely. You know, the, the, the thing about that too was that um, for the longest time, I think, you know, Latinos were also to blame because we just sort of sat around waiting for non-Latinos mm -hmm. to, to involve us, to, to help right. us you know, be a part of some movement, you know, um, or to help us legislate or advocate. When, you know, in, in reality, we are just as American as, you know, as non-Latinos, right? And so why don't we on our own initiative get involved, right? You know, raise our voice and, and be a vanguard for freedom and the U.S. Constitution and all those things that, that made America the, the, an incredible place of opportunity. Uh, and, you know, of course, that means safeguarding those freedoms. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's what we do at the Libre Initiative is uh, you're right. The old model was, you know, the Latino organizations that, that were center right or even center left is is they, they sat around, you know, thinking of big ideas and then they throw an event in D.C. and invited a, a senator or a congressman. And, and that was it. Right. You know, there was no connecting uh, neighbors with neighbors, people you go to church with or school with or to work with. Those are the folks that you need to mobilize you know, to get um, informed on the issues and have then have them advocate and be champions on, on these policies that matter so much and have such a tremendous impact. Yeah, I remember about a year ago, probably there's a New York Times reporter, um, a fellow gringo and. Uh, he was bewildered because they had done some polling. It might have been Nate Silver, but I don't, don't quote me on that. 
they'd done some polling of different American voters. And he was shocked because he says, wow, our, Im- our immigration relation messaging, it seems like we're, we're polling. I don't know if he called them Latin X or not, but uh, we're polling Hispanic Latino voters on these issues. And they seem to care about things like the economy, crime, national defense. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're like American voters when you think about it, isn't it? I'm like, and he was bewildered by this. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's just crazy. And it's something that I see all the time in cable newsrooms. They'll have. They'll have a panel discussion, five people, one woman is black, everybody else is white. All they do is talk amongst themselves until let's talk about race. And everybody turns their attention (laughs) to the poor African-American woman. She's like, really? That's all I can comment on? I can't come on the last 15 minutes of discussion. So um, I think it's But you know, that that, that misrepresentation that you're talking about comes exactly from these uh, the what I was talking about, right? It was like you know, I just didn't. I don't see myself represented in media. I don't see myself mm-hmm. represented in the institutions of government. And so uh, when they talk about Latinos, they talk about immigration. Oh, but well, fine, okay, we, we care about that too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I want to know what's going to happen uh, with respect to empowering parents to choose the education that they want for their own children. Mm-hmm. I don't want Medicare for all and have a government takeover of my health care. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't want to be you know, burdened so uh, much by taxes and regulations that, that don't allow me to you know, start an enterprise, a business. Right. And, and so th- these things do matter like they matter to all Americans. But again, it, it's on us to raise our voice and be represented. Uh, And so we are in a very real way changing the conversation within the Latino community because we're wrestling it away from, you know, those institutions uh, who are center left. Um, Right. Now, what have you seen among um, American voters, American Latinos um, over the past 10, 20 years? Because there's a lot of often with a tinge of panic uh, concerns about so many people voting for conservative candidates, whoever they might be, the more the more uh, centrist Democrat or a more conservative Republican. We've had uh, here in Arizona, Juan Cisco Mani, um, yeah. huge victory. Um, he gave the um, a Spanish language uh, response to the so too, which was absolutely fantastic. So um, you're just seeing a lot more involvement. Have you noticed just general voting pattern changes over the time you've been doing Libre? Oh, 100 um, percent. You know, we, we first saw it in um 2012, 2014, you know, in the Senate races and and some of the the congressional races where Latinos were starting to vote uh, for like the the, I'll give you an example. In Colorado in 2008, Michael Bennett had won 90 percent of the Latino vote for Senate. And uh, Barack Obama had won 85 percent. Um, so they said, OK, that's it. It's baked in, you know, that for Latinos are, are gone in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Well, Cory Gardner got 45 percent in the next Senate election. Mm-hmm. Right. But he did that because, you know, he went into the communities and connected with them in a very real way and talked about all the issues. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, of course, uh, when I say he went into the communities, I mean, he went into the churches, the mm-hmm. chamber of commerces, you know, the, the, where, wherever Latinos were at. You know, that's where he went and he hired from the Latino community and spoke to them about, you know, those issues that, that, that connected with them. So um, it, 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 it 
to, to the point where we're at now, where you're starting to see this incredible dramatic shift in South Texas um, and in Florida and uh, throughout the Southwest, you're really starting to see this shift over uh, to center right issues. And I think it has a lot to do with a couple of things, uh, John. One is that the Republicans are finally starting to invest, you know, in, in, um, in this, these sort of outreach and, and engagement efforts with the Latino community. Um, where they had neglected minority communities in the past because consultants would say, all you need is the base, that'll get you right, back. Right. Don't worry about these minority communities. And so they, they neglected these minority communities. But, but, but second, you know, what, what, what's happening too is that Latinos themselves are getting engaged um, and, and are part of now the political machine. Uh, and like, you know, you talked about Cisco Mani, we had five Latino Republicans flip five blue seats. I mean, this is yeah. exciting stuff. You know, you, you had Ron DeSantis, you know, who's doing a heck of a work. You know, his team is doing um, incredible work with Latino outreach. He won 57 percent of the Latino vote and won Miami-Dade County. Again, th- th- these are uh, gains that, w- that we are seeing um, that has the left on their heels in, mm-hmm. in a very real way. And it has I think part of it has to do also with the fact that when Republicans put forth really bad candidates, the, the Democrats are elected and they misinterpret it as a mandate to pass really radical ideas. Mm-hmm. And especially now during the sort of cultural war that we have with the sort of wokeism that, that, that is taking over America, Latinos are not responding to that. They, mm-hmm. they want you know, security and, and police officers in, in their communities. Right. Um, they, they don't want to be referred to as Latinx, you know, and have their language mutilated like that uh, or defined by non-Latinos. And so the, all these things that are happening, like in the schools and in the indoctrination are getting an adverse reaction in the Latino community. And now they're they're getting active mm-hmm. uh, in their school boards, uh, in their city councils, at the state level with state legislatures, and then, of course, at the federal level. And and you're seeing it translated into votes. Yeah, definitely. And I think just the entire um, emphasis on, I'll say, it's anti any traditionalism or traditional religion, but just the deep antithesis towards, uh, of, you know, far left Democrats towards any kind of faith is really damning among every different group, you know, and they don't seem to understand it. It's like they think they're sticking it to, oh, those crazy redneck snake handlers down in Alabama or something. But it's just like all these cultures that make up what America is. We take that stuff very seriously and we each do in our own way. You might have an Episcopalian here, a Catholic there, a Buddhist over there, but whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, that's serious stuff. And that's stuff you learned at your grandpa's knee. And, you know, just to have these kind of dismissive, oh, I just got a master's degree in philosophy. So I'm going to look down on you. It's like, no, that that doesn't work with pretty much anyone. That, that's right. And, and it is almost condescending in a very real way that redistribution is always about taking money or wealth away from white people and redistributing it to minorities mm-hmm. um, that, you know, you have to. Uh, reduce the standards in in colleges and high schools for, mm-hmm. in order for us to have any kind of entry um, right. that you have to uh, that, that you lower the expectations on everything when it comes to minorities uh, in, instead of redistributing the earned wealth of others you should redistribute education 
and equal opportunity. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's where I think you should focus. Uh, but instead, of course, we get more massive government spending. Um, and then we have, of course, um, the this sort of the the almost a browbeating of white people into you know a guilt complex uh, mm-hmm. about the wealth that they have or generational wealth that you know mm-hmm. th- their parents before them passed on to them we need to have these com- honest conversations and, and tell latinos and, and and black americans 86% of millionaires in america didn't inherit their wealth mm-hmm. they earned it right you know right. they they built businesses they created products and services uh, that people wanted that they met you know a demand and we rewarded for that mm-hmm. and, and latinos are doing the same too right you know they're out there mm-hmm. hustling and they're working hard and then they're innovating and creating businesses generating wealth for themselves and others and, and again that's the kind of activity that you want productivity Right, right. And just to see, um, I live in Mesa, Arizona, like the probably the largest population wise suburb of Phoenix or east of Phoenix. And uh, yeah, most of the new businesses open, I would say, are Hispanic owned businesses. And uh, which I'm very happy about, especially when they're in the food sector, because <laughs> growing up here, I'm kind of addicted to good food. Like that. So, um, but um, what do you think is going on? One thing, and uh, we talked about this um on Twitter, just like to get you on here, I wanted to talk a little bit, not just about America, but what's going on with Latin America in general. You've had a lot of major leftist wins. You've had, um, um, is it Giomara Castro in Honduras? You have Daniel Ortega, Nicaragua, uh, Petro in Colombia. So you have a lot of these leftist politicians taking control of the government on the other hand, though, like a year ago, it was looking pretty bleak, but also you have El Salvador going more conservative. Uh, Chile, they tried to force this very leftist uh, constitution. Uh, they gave it to the voters. Voters completely rejected it. So it seems like a mixed bag. But how do you think things are trending south of our border? Yeah, you're right about the mixed bag. Uh, it, it appeared, I think, that the fever of socialism had broken in South America with the election of Mauricio Macri in, in Argentina, mm-hmm. um, very very much center-right, Bolsonaro in Brazil, center-right, Duque in Colombia, center-right. And then, of course, in Uruguay with Luis Lacalle Po, uh, who is very much center-right. In fact, he didn't even invite any uh, other South American leader to his inauguration, you know, because he's just so unaligned with That's them. Based. <laughs> <laughs> it is based. Um, but but now, of course, you got from the very tippy top, um, you have uh, Trudeau in Canada, Biden in America, AMLO in Mexico. And then you rattled off all the Central American, uh, maybe with the exception of, of um um, Bukele in, in El Salvador, mm-hmm. um, you know, very left of center. Uh, but now we have um, from the very bottom, you know, Argentina with Alberto Fernandez, um, Bolivia, Luis Alberto Arce, Lula in Brazil, Chile, Boric. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Boric, who's the newfangled kind of like, you know, uh, glamour like boy. Chilean in, in Trudeau kind of. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, Petro, which is like tragic in, in mm-hmm. Colombia. I thought Colombia was was invulnerable, but apparently yeah. not. And so uh, Ecuador was lost a, a while back. But you're right. This sort of what they call a pink tide mm-hmm. um, is very much reflective of North America even right now in the sense that it has gone left. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, it, it, it may be a harder left than, than of course, North America. Um, but it's still, the, it, it's now called the leftist hemisphere. 
uh, because, you know, North and South America, you know, uh, it, it is this insistence of, of equity, this insistence of, of wanting, you know, um, uh, equality for, for all. Uh, but, but we know what, what, you know, socialism gets us. Now, they'll argue that, of course, it's not socialism. Mm-hmm. This is sort of you know, social uh, or democratic socialism it is more uh, the use of, of of expanding government, you know, to try to fill gaps and needs. Uh, but it is very much socialist type systems that do the heavy redistribution of wealth, the, the um, el saqueo that they call it, right? The looting of private property and and the expropriation of of companies and sectors of the economy, the the, the nationalization, right, of, of these sectors, uh, the massive government spending and the regulating. Um, this whole environmental thing has given them a, an excuse, right, to now impose these heavy regulations, like a Petro who says that he believes in zero consumption of petroleum um, and fossil fuels. Your name is Petro. <laughs> His name is Petro, right? Yeah, so, so it, it is very much, um, this isn't a good trend that we're on right now, um, but it's just this distortion of what the free markets do mm-hmm. and what the free markets are about. And the same thing that is happening in American universities, this indoctrination uh, of the evils of, of capitalism um, and, and capitalists, right? Yeah. So if we're not careful, uh, we are going to be just as hard left here uh, real soon. Uh, if, uh, if we don't win over minority communities, our, our youth in the universities, you know, reclaim that territory back and, and sing about the praises uh, and, and the moral cause of, of free markets. Um, otherwise we're going to be in trouble. The yeah. South America is. Right, definitely. And we're also going to see a whole lot of more people wanting to immigrate to the United States. If you have like Honduras starting to collectivize property and things, all it's going to do is destroy jobs, hurt their economy even worse, especially after COVID and all those disruptions. Um, I follow, there's a community, there's an island off the coast of Honduras, part of Honduras called Roatan. And uh, there's a community called Prospera there, which is, uh, it was approved by the government. It's in the Constitution, very low tax, very uh, clean regulations, kind of a, a very libertarian leaning state. And, yeah, they had a change of government to a leftist. And they're like, oh, OK, all these bets are off. I know it's in our Constitution. I know you got all the law passed. D- don't matter. And so they're kind of fighting for survival, saying, no, we we have good legal basis. And I, I kind of um, think of that. It's like the left is. They aren't terrified that, oh, they're conservative and that's bad for people. They're terrified that it's going to work because if it works, then it'll kind of prove the far left to be a complete sham. Well, and and it is right, Um, because, of course, inherent in the far left is is the system of socialism. uh, And and we know what 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 happens there. But, you know, you talked about, you know, some of these tactics uh, by the left. um, one of them, of course, is to change election laws immediately so that they continue to stay in power. AMLO is trying to do that right now in Mexico. Uh, Gabriel Boric trying to do, is trying to do that in in um, in Chile, and and uh, we saw that with you know Evo Morales, you know, trying to do the same thing in, in Bolivia. But here in America, you know, the 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 stacking the the U.S. Supreme Court to get favorable decisions. Right. Uh, the first bill out of the box in the Biden administration was to change our national elections to to nationalize them in, in, in a very real sense to require national IDs of, of everybody because apparently minorities are too stupid to get IDs so they can't go vote. So let's just do away with IDs 
to, to you know at the at the voting box. Um, you know, this kind of, of of these electoral reforms disguised as you know improving the democratic system, but really are meant to you know continue power. Right. They're, they're more focused on, on, on preserving their power than they are on, on, on a pro growth economy. The same thing uh, is happening in South America. Gabriel Boric, for example, you know, you mentioned it about the Constitution. Uh, he, he filled it with a bunch of little you know, chock full of, 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 of uh, a grab bag of goodies for the indigenous, for feminists, for the environmentalists. Uh, it could be was trying to form a coalition of support for, you know, passage of this thing. And it was going to be a hard left document. It, it failed somehow, shockingly, to a lot of people. But but they're close, you know, to passing, mm-hmm. you know, what would be an entire rewrite of a constitution of, of Chile that would keep the left in power for a very long time to come. And of course, would, would um, you know, it's just it is a guarantee that it is going to send the country into inflation, the devaluation of, of, of the currency, the low, low uh, um, lower uh, power of, of, of wages. Mm-hmm. And, and then of course the misery and the poverty and the unemployment that comes with it because of, of the, the reductions in, in productivity. Is this right? And just look, they keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. And looking at the examples, do you want to be Cuba? Do you want to be Venezuela? It's like, how could you even think that there's any hope of there after those object lessons of just misery? And yeah, Col- Colombia surprised me a great deal too, just because Venezuela is their neighbor. There's all these people trying to escape and come into Colombia. Then they're like, yeah, we should go a little more leftist. It's, I don't know. It's disappointing. So hopefully in America, um, we'll start to turn things back. How much do you think, too, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about is the importance of we touched on faith before, but I would say throughout Latin America and in the United States, especially, you know, I, I think of my forebears. I'm a Finnish extraction. And so immigrants come here, I don't know, 1880, 1890. What do they do? They move to community where their fins are and they hang out at the church. You know, that's right. what you do. And that's uh, kind of the weird thing about American Christianity, because there was always this when immigrants come in. OK, I don't have any money. Where am I going to get some food? Well, if you're Czech, you go to your Czech congregation and um, I, I know living in Arizona, you see that all the time. Evangelical churches, you see it with Catholic churches, of course. Um, congregating there, getting to know each other, and really working on the social model that has nothing to do with government, but it's neighbors helping neighbors. Do you think um, that going forward, especially as so much of at least the top level of democratic leadership seems so anti-faith, anti-religion in general, do you think that's really just going to tether not only the Latino community, but communities, you know, every kind of American voter out there saying, hey, leave us alone. Do you think what what impact do you think faith is going to have in the next 10 years or so? Yeah, well, we're very expressive about our faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I encourage, you know, our staff and, and our team to be expressive about faith mm-hmm. and to defend it. Right. Because it's, you know, the. the, the uh, freedom of religion is interdependent with the other freedoms of, mm-hmm. of the press, of speech, of, you know, uh, even, you know, possession of firearms. Um, look, you know, I, I, I feel strongly that, you know, our faith in a, a, a Christian faith, especially gives us a national identity. 
mm-hmm. there's alignment there on values, on principles. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the, the 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 reasons why you know folks can come over from the entire you know hemisphere uh, into America and, and and assimilate so quickly is because of Christian values, your Judeo-Christian values and principles uh, that we all share. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the 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 Bible, the scriptures are something that we all you know have in common. Um, and, and we draw, I think, a lot of our policy positions from, you know, I know I do, you know, from mm-hmm. my faith. Um, yeah. and, and so do Latinos and blacks and whites and, you know, across the board. And it is something that, that uh, I think the Marxists know is a threat to them. And mm-hmm. which is why they always attack religion and, and faith uh, of, 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 a, of a people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we lose our Christian faith, we lose that identity, and that alignment. And I think social cohesion will deteriorate at, at a maximum velocity. Um, the, the institution of, of, of family um, will also disintegrate. Um, you know, we, we are governed by the Constitution. And an inherent in the Constitution is the belief that, you know, our rights and freedoms emanate from, from the hand of God Almighty. And that there is a higher power than, than politicians and government in Washington, D.C., and, and we have to heed that higher power. Right. And it's it's in scripture. And so um, there's a higher law here. And, and so um, a, a, any any attacks on, on faith, I think, are attacks on our national identity and, and that higher power that governs us. And, and I, I uh, resist it as much as I can. And, you know, like folks at the Libra Initiative are, 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 of faith are also uh, very cognizant of the value of faith in, 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 in the American people. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I noticed, I don't know, four or five years ago, I I used to, well, I just talk about politics and I talk about policy and I try to partition out everything else. And in our modern culture, everything's mixed together, especially with like the crazy wokeness and things. It's just like, oh, this, this stuff is all combined. You can't just separate stuff out. And a lot of it too is, you know, when I'm saying respect the faith, of this one person or this one group of people, I'm also saying respect the guy who just isn't, just isn't that into it. It's like, we, we, we don't, we don't need to be fighting each other on this stuff. Um, but when you try to eradicate uh, people's deepest held beliefs, Oh yeah, there's going to be pushback in a lot of it. But there is, there is now you're seeing it more and more an imposition by non-believers on believers, right? Yeah. Uh, an imposition that no, you know, you, you will be secular. You will, you know, hang Jesus, you know, at, at the door when you walk into the policy table or right. into the policy room. Uh, no, he comes with me, right? You know, that, yeah. that's who I am as, as a person uh-huh. is my faith in Jesus Christ, you know, and, and, and scripture. And mm-hmm. so I will sing the merits of, 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 of Holy scripture and you can sing the merits of whatever you got going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Let's right. Discussion. Let, let, let's let's see who wins out at the end of the day. If I'm able to persuade, you know, my, my fellow citizens uh, uh, that this is the right course on policy mm-hmm. or, or yours. Right. But, but, you know, don't don't uh, you know try to shut me out or shut me up. Um, exactly. Because, you know, I'm a person of faith. Uh, I will always defend that, you know. And defend right. That. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think more people are feeling that way after, I don't know, coming coming from a dominant culture. Maybe it's just Midwestern background. It's just, oh, you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. People are like, all right, already. This is what I believe. (laughs) Deal with it kind of a thing. Well, Daniel Garza, where can people find out more about you and the Libre Initiative? Well, we're all over the place. Uh, we're in 14, 15 states, so you can visit us at our offices. Uh, but you can find out where we're at by going to www.believeinit.org. 
uh, on Facebook, the Libre Initiative, on Twitter, Libre Initiative. Um, and I think we're also on Instagram and some other stuff. I, I don't follow all the social media, <laughs> right. which our young kids do, but yeah, uh, all over the place. Great, great. We'll include links in the show notes. Really appreciate your time with us. It was great to have you on. Okay, want to talk about the various news of the week. One thing I actually got a surprising amount of pushback on uh, for the local paper, the Arizona Republic. I write for them every Saturday. It's when they usually run the story. But I just wrote about pointing out the lack of military leadership in uh, Congress and also the, the White House as well. If you look at the White House, the last president we had with any kind of military background was George W. Bush, who served a brief stint in the Texas Air National Guard, I believe it was. And before him, um, you got to go back to, gosh, well, I guess Reagan was officially in it, like kind of working as an actor or something. Uh, but Jimmy Carter for president, actual, uh, he was a nuclear submarine dude, much like myself. One of my qualifications to be president in the vice presidential thing. The only one that had uh, major military experience was George H.W. Bush. Trump and Pence didn't have it. Kamala and Biden didn't have military experience. Obama didn't. Again, Biden didn't. Uh, Cheney didn't. And then in Congress, it's only 18 percent of all people in Congress have served in uniform. Now, go back to 1972. It was like 73 percent. So I just wrote about that. And a lot of people are pushing back saying, A, it doesn't matter. And we shouldn't be required to be in the military to be in politics. I'm like, well, of course, that's why I said in the article, we sh it shouldn't be a requirement. But the most important decision that anyone makes in Washington is on issues of war and peace. So I would be more comfortable with people who are selfless enough to join the military. And uh, when they're making that decision, especially those guys with combat experience and uh, Thankfully, from the Great War on Terror, there's more people entering office with that kind of background, combat background, but still seems really low. I think another thing as well is, um, oh, and a lot of people were saying, well, that doesn't matter. That's a bad comparison because you had the draft back. It was ended in the 70s. And uh, once again, I mentioned that in the article. I say that's, you know, an important difference, but still just the fact that if someone kind of wants to be thought of as uh, one of our betters, the best and brightest, hey, I should be running the country or I should be representing my state. Um, often there's a big overlap with people who are like, oh, the military is kind of beneath me. I don't think that's a good call. Instead, I'll go get a spend eight tons of money and get a law degree, go to the right schools. And uh, so I don't know. It's not like it should be a requirement, but uh, it's good to see. Well, DeSantis has a military background. I wonder if anybody else does that's announced. I don't think Marianne Williamson has military experience. Just just a thought. But it's still early in the game. DeSantis hasn't declared. And who knows who will on the Republican side. Big news today as I'm recording this. Apparently on Monday night, Tucker Carlson released his first uh, backgrounder. On January 6th, uh, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, gave him access to, I guess, all the videos from January 6th. Now, we know we saw a lot of the January 6th video, but it was kind of edited over to include the worst of the worst. And I assume Tucker is going to do just the reverse, showing the the least worst. And oh, yeah, what's going on here? This doesn't look that bad. Obviously, uh, Gen 6, it was a very bad thing. 
But that was one of the problems with um, the former, like the former House committee run by Pelosi, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, all these kind of folks. Um, they were trying to make it look like basically 9-11 times 10. And so they only showed videos that would uh, kind of endorse their view. Uh, one that they pushed was Josh Hawley, a little video of him running away. And uh, Tucker showed that whole video where it's like the entire where it was actually a whole bunch of senators being urged to leave by the House security or the Senate security. And you see all these scads of senators run. And the last guy who's kind of taken up trailing behind him is Josh Hawley by himself. Now, the January 6th committee just showed, look at how dumb Josh Hawley is. He's terrified. No, he was told to do this and all the senators ran and he was kind of the last in line of a long line of people. So, yeah, we know that there was a lot of deception going on there. And uh, the other thing is that uh, Buffalo helmet dude, shaman, mega shaman guy, he uh, was kind of being led around. Police are kind of ignoring him. He's just kind of wandering around, checking locked doors, see if he can get in. Police are kind of either guiding him at some points or ignoring him at others. Again, that's not exculpatory. I think the trend of the left was to say every video shows that this is the worst thing ever in human history. And a lot of people on the right are saying, oh, see, it was nothing. The police are just guiding this guy around. No, it, it was bad, but it wasn't the end of the world. And they should prosecute the various people who actually violated the law with a rational judgment. I think a lot of them didn't do anything that wrong. They might have trespassed and it's like, oh, OK, well, that's a misdemeanor, whatever. Don't do it again. Slap on the hand. If people engaged in violence and property destruction, they should be seeing time inside a jail. But uh, we know that uh, a lot of these protesters have just been in limbo ever since that event and are getting these huge sentences, which is just weird when you compare it to all the riots that took place six months earlier, burning down cities, killing cops and the like. Um, the left wanted uh, kid gloves used on those folks, and they want the book thrown at people involved in January 6th. I'm very, interesting, uh, I'm very interested to see more of this come out. The criticisms have come from people like Liz Cheney, Chuck Schumer, Adam Kinzinger again. Uh, these folks are whining and complaining about it, but they aren't questioning anything that uh, Tucker Carlson presented on the show. They're saying basically, just stop him. Fox News, turn him off. Don't let him share this stuff. Don't let anybody talk about this. Uh, sorry, dudes. Um, democracy dies in darkness, as um, many of our media betters like to say. Enjoy it. Get all this out there. Um, let people take have their takes that they want to have. But yeah, this if the videos shown uh, by Nancy Pelosi were important, these are two. And it's just weird, but not all that terribly surprising to see a lot of the hardcore never Trumpers who do nothing but talk about Trump in every column they've written ever since he arrived on the national stage um, to see them poo pooing what Tucker's doing. And this is irresponsible and this is wrong. No, it isn't. He's just showing the the footage that he's been given access to. And uh, I'm sorry it doesn't uh, indict Donald Trump directly, but neither did the January 6th commission. So uh, the more videotape that's out there, the better, I say. Um, did I see it? Nah, I, I, I'm trying to remember the last time I watched cable news. I usually will turn it on during elections. A lot of time just watching it on my laptop, like live coverage. 
because it's kind of funny to turn to MSNBC if it's a bad uh, time for Democrats. But yeah, I, I just, I never watch cable news. Sometimes a clip will go viral. I'll see that. Um, it's just not my bag, especially since I have to watch and write about this stuff and be really in tune with it. Tuning uh, into cable news is like the stuff I learned about and was talking about a day or two ago uh, because there's a lag to get the video packages set up and to get the talking points going. Yeah, a lot of people love Tucker, and that's why he's showing stuff that you can't get on any of the other 3,000 networks and media sites out there uh, because nobody wants to talk about it. The other big thing that's developed over the past week or so, the Telegraph, a major newspaper in the UK, got a treasure trove, like 100,000 texts, all involving the UK health secretary. His name is Matt Hancock. They were leaked by this lady named Isabel Okashot. She's like a ghostwriter for a lot of big time politicians. I think she was dating him at the time. Uh, She was working on ghostwriting his book. What he wanted to do is release a heroic autobiography of how brilliant he was during um, his in his reaction to covid. These are showing anything but Um, some people are calling it Project Fear. He spent a lot of time in the text saying how we can scare the hell out of people. When should we release the next variant? How to shut down things like the lab leak theory, how to shut down people who are like eternal lockdowns are bad. So it is causing quite a stir in the UK. UK was worse about this than most places of the United States. I would think there's probably comparable overreaction in places like California, New York City and the like. But UK, a lot of this was nationwide, much smaller country, a lot tighter controls. And also much tighter controls of their press. Uh, We had people silenced and hidden and Google searches prohibited. I don't know, something like ivermectin. You know, you'd have YouTube jump in and Google jump in to try to steer people away from it. But um, if you're in the know, there's still ways you could find this forbidden knowledge. Um, But it was a lot tougher to get in the UK. They could just silence this stuff. One guy who comes out looking um, among the best of the texts that were leaked was uh, Rishi Sunak, who is the prime minister. What, the 12th in a year? The year of the four prime ministers? Yeah, uh, Rishi Sunak, the current conservative party, Tory prime minister in the UK, uh, he was pretty rational about it. So that's good, I guess. He was pretty data driven and, hey, let's not overreact. Let's not overdo it. It's not like he had his way because uh, UK went a little berserk with their overreaction to COVID and the requiring vaccinations and masks and social distancing and the like. But a lot of other politicians, even those, well, many of those in the Tory party, do not come away from this looking very good. And it'll be good to see similar releases if uh, someone in the U.S. press um, has access to those, because I'm sure it was much the same, especially with Anthony Fauci who was uh, behind the scenes trying to shut down information and control what people were saying, who would be taken seriously, uh, trying to destroy the um, careers of people who dared to disagree with him about anything. This is kind of a sidebar. I saw this on Instapundit on Tuesday. Uh, Georgetown Law. Okay, there was a student at Georgetown Law who, uh, during all the lockdowns and masks and so forth, he asked a series of questions about uh, the coronavirus policies of the school, which, like at most institutions of learning, were completely overboard. He just politely asked, well, you know, what's the data behind mask wearing? Um, Why are we locking people out if they haven't been vaccinated or didn't get the booster or whatever? 
Well, he directed these questions at the dean of students, a guy named Mitch Balin, and uh, he refused to answer the questions. Instead, what he did is he just lashed out at the kid and tried to get him kicked out of the school. He tried to uh, force him into a psychological evaluation because he was spreading, quote unquote, conspiracy theories because he asked questions that pretty much everyone in the country was asking at the time. So he orders a student to see a psychiatrist for daring not to um, endorse the party line that everybody in the media, all of our elites, all of our betters were pushing on us. Um, There's still a lot of reckoning yet to do with how people destroyed other people during COVID. Um, They released something in Europe, all the countries, um, they counted up all the excess deaths that they um, experienced throughout Europe. Which country had the very lowest? Sweden, the ones with the least stringent uh, regulations and lockdowns because it didn't they didn't overly disrupt people's lives. They focused it on the people who are vulnerable, people with pre-existing health conditions, the elderly and so forth. After month one, at least anybody should have thought that that was the right thing to do. Uh, Many of us thought that was the right thing to do from the jump. But uh, yeah, early on, you can see, oh, okay, it's really affecting old people. It's affecting people with uh, respiratory issues to begin with. Maybe their immune systems are compromised with some other health issues. Let's focus on protecting them instead of uh, forcing kids into masks and filling up uh, skate parks with sand. So uh, people who are healthy and won't have a bad problem with this are all locked indoors for two years straight. One more thing I thought was interesting, kind of playing off the conversation I had with Daniel Garza about more and more Hispanics voting for supporting Republican candidates, supporting more centrist Democratic candidates. Uh, New York Times is freaked out. Imagine that the New York Times is freaking out about something. But they're really terrified because Asians are not voting the right way. In 2016, about 18 percent of Asians voted for Republicans. In 2022, It's 32 percent. You know, that's almost double the Asian vote for Republicans. So right now, about a third of all Asians are voting Republican before that was like less than a fifth. Very upset. The New York Times editorial board. And why are they upset? It has nothing to do with their ethnicity. Kind of like we talked about the trends with among Hispanic voters. It's because they think wokeness is insane. Um, Also, you have the craziness with equity and education where The best and brightest are recommending that Asian students be excluded from schools. Oh, we have too many at Stanford and too many Asians at Harvard. So we need to weight it differently. So we have far, far less Asian students. I'm sorry. If a kid works their rear end off and gets top grades in high school, they should have a better opportunity to go to a better school. Period. I stunk in high school. The only reason I went to college, basically, was my Navy background. Because I had like two and a half years of schooling for the nuclear propulsion program that they have there. And it forced me to get real, to grow up and to be serious about it. So then college was a breeze compared to Navy education. I had to train myself to be a better student. And I'm sorry if some students are naturally great at this, if their parents push them, help them with their study habits and so forth. And they end up learning this stuff in junior high and high school. Yeah, they should be in front of me in line to which college they get into. So um, they're also worried about crime. All these basic issues that every American is concerned about. uh, Republicans are talking to them uh, with better solutions in general. You know, we got Turkey Republicans out there and we have a couple Democrats who kind of get it and know that wokeness is a poison and they're trying to avoid it. But yeah, these are good. um, 
Good policies for Americans are good policies for Americans. Doesn't matter their race, their origin, whatever. Um, I think most people want to embrace common sense. And I'm glad that more and more Republicans are providing that opportunity to a various group who usually don't vote with a GOP. And now for the song of the week, we're talking about uh, the blended culture here in my beloved state. And there is a great band out of Tucson that does that perfectly. They're called Calexico. And so for the song of the week this week, I chose Calexico's cover of a song by I think the band was Love, maybe late 60s, something like that. But uh, the song is called Alone Again or and I love their version. And uh, this is a live version, actually, on Austin City Limits. Yeah, I heard a funny thing Somebody said to me You know that I could be in love with almost everyone And I think that people are the greatest fun And I will be alone again If you ever get a chance to see this band live, please do, especially when they're touring with the full mariachi band. They have dancers. It's amazing. So do check that out. And once again, uh, join Ricochet. See us on Saturday. Uh, Hang out. Hang out with the King of Stuff on Saturday at 2 p.m. in the greater Phoenix area. All the details are on the site if you need to check in there on the member feed. Subscribe, rate, rank, review, follow me on YouTube, follow me on Twitter, check out Daniel Garza's work in the Libre Initiative, and I'll talk to you next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.